0: Welcome, everybody, to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My name is Colin, and I am your host. This week's episode is with Zach Nielsen. He is a licensed mental health therapist based in the Quad Cities, and we talked about a lot. We dove deep into things, and could have talked... For even longer than we did, we talked for two hours. I cut the podcast episode down a little bit and I made sure to give you all the good stuff, the best stuff, because it was all good stuff. And throughout the podcast, we talk about Zach's transition from social work into therapy and how he got into that and how he created his own practice. And What kind of work he's doing and what kind of work he's working towards. We also talked about trauma-based counseling and that being his main thing and what he specializes in. We also talked about societal expectations, addiction, recovery, and therapy. So, if you're someone that's considering therapy and wants to hear the point of view of a therapist, this is a great episode to listen to. Or if you just like listening to interesting people, another reason to listen to this episode. So, without further ado, this is episode number five. 53 with Zach Nielsen. Everybody to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. My name is Colin and I'm your host. Today I have Zach Nielsen. Is it Nelson or Nielsen? Nielsen. Nielsen. Okay, good. I said it right the first time and I appreciate you taking the time to be here in my living room, which I'm glad I can record in the living room because I can just sit in my comfy chair. People can sit on the couch. Chill. It's relaxing. I am very grateful for Underground Economy. I'll shout them out all day because they really helped me out a lot until I got this set up. Mm. It's a place downtown, uh Davenport. Um used to be the RME building, but now it's called Core or Oh yeah. Something yeah. I, they changed the name. Uh we don't do well with name changes here in the Quad Cities, so Don't we know it? Yeah. Well, I want to start out by having you introduce yourself, kind of what you do, a little bit about your, uh, your background as, as a therapist and, uh, we'll go from there.
1: All right. Um, so my elevator spiel that I give every prospective new client that like comes in, I do like consultations cause yeah. I want to make sure people actually get where they need to go. I always tell them, you know, I'm Zachary Nielsen, like I I started my journey as an advocate for victims of sexual assault and domestic violence. So I did a lot of work doing like crisis intervention work. So I would go to um, the hospitals when someone had been sexually assaulted. I would go to someone's house. I would... Um, be in the court systems a lot too like advocating for people and helping them with orders of protection and um, basically always being involved in anti-violence work Mm -hmm. and there got to be a point where I was having to refer people to like someone else to do the work that I really wanted to do like I'm Uh, all about yeah I'm all about people's stories and I I've kind of always been a very nosy individual. I think it both aids me in my work, which is why mm-hmm. it kind of led me there naturally. But then I went back to grad school to really become the therapist that I think my like younger self would have needed. And so I trained specifically in trauma-informed counseling and LGBTQ+, like, specific interventions. Mm-hmm. And then from there, jumped off and started doing couples' work and individuals' work. And now my practice is... It's predominantly focused on queer individuals, and I would say I also have a lot of um, female or female-identified individuals that I work really well with, and and I think as an expertise because I think the female population and the queer population have a lot of intersections in terms of the stuff we go through. And now I'm actually, within the next year and a half, updating my practice again, which is kind of how I live my life. I'll be a sex therapist within a year and a half and be predominantly focused on couples and individuals doing sex therapy, which I'm very, very excited about. It's been a life dream of mine.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. So what was your undergrad
1: in? Nothing, Nothing to connect it to. Like I did, I started as, as a psychology major. I hated my psych professors. They were like these old crusty Ooh, white where'd men. You go? Ashford university in Clinton. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't like any of them that much. And mm, that's, but I loved my communications professor. He was like the coolest dude. And so I was like, I'll just minor in psych and do English and communications as my major. And so that's what I did. And I got out of college not knowing any of what I wanted to do. So yeah. social work kind of called me. I was like, ah, I'll do that.
0: Awesome. So you're doing social work around here then? Yes.
1: Okay. We're actually at a nonprofit over off Eastern. If you know where family resources is off Eastern, the old Annie Whitmore campus. Yep. Yeah. So they do, I mean, they have multiple different sections of the nonprofit. I was specifically in survivor services. So it's survivors of domestic violence, sexual assault. They included now, um, survivors of homicide and other violent crimes. So they kind of span this huge arena of crimes and just anti-violence movement work. Yeah.
0: Wow, yeah. Annie Wintermeyer still has... There's kind of a whole lot... There's multiple things going on over there. Yes. In that, uh, that area. I used to actually... The only... The first thing that comes to mind not the only thing, the first thing that comes to mind when I think of Annie Whitmire is do you remember before the pool? Mm-hmm. How they used to have the that hill, people used to sled on it. Yeah. Yeah. That was dangerous. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like for me personally, because I there it would like be three different slopes. Okay. And then you'd hit that last one. And you just, and it would just send you off. And there's like a little bit of uh it bring it takes me back to that every time i hear that and i also i uh know that there's a lot of um it's usually teen- teenagers that are there that are combative behavior disorders stuff like that and is that still what's going on over there cuz i know it's i believe so yeah i mean so i left in and that was super random that i brought that up but yeah no. i was just like that's the first thing I think of is like when I had when I ate it so bad on that hill.
1: Like the trauma that you live with, it right? Just, you probably drive uh, past
0: Eastern and you're like, mm. no, I'm like every time I'm like, I'm so glad that pool's there. Yeah. It it stops kids. It stops it saves lives. Sa- <laughs> <laughs> that pool's saving lives.
1: Yeah. No, they do do... so the uh what they called it when you work there is called foster group care. I'm sure it's has a new name now but it's for adjudicated youth okay and so survivor services would work a lot with that program because it it was pretty common knowledge that the crossover between the youth and survivor
0: so many crossovers when it comes to mental health in general oh god yeah god yes i mean
1: i would say most of my clients and yeah i think about all the time like and and I say this jokingly when I'm talking to someone because, you know, if they come to me and they're like, I want to work on my anxiety or I want to talk about my depression. And you know, one of my specialties is trauma informed counseling. I'm always, I like, i kind of say this jokingly, but just to kind of like open the room and start to yeah. like educate. I'm like, whether we're talking little T trauma or big T trauma, we've all got something that we're dealing with. And I I almost guarantee that one of the things that we're going to talk about in here is going to be trauma. Like, you you if you experience consciousness from the age of or 1980 till now there's a great chance that you've experienced some form of it yeah let's just get into it right away directly or indirectly and or... yep i mean if you think about like 9-11 or COVID, oh, like all of that stuff unless you are so detached from the world which then we have a different issue we need to address yeah different issue but yeah. like you should be impacted. And like some of the people that talk about their teens, I'm like, your teens are conscious in 2023 and get to experience hate crimes and get to experience mass shootings. Like they should be anxious. It means that their bodies and nervous systems are working properly. Like our job is to try and create a better society for them, not shame them for being, I don't want to go to school today. Like, yeah, I wouldn't either. I, absolutely i would not either so yeah
0: yeah i didn't i mean there was obviously shootings that have, that happened but it wasn't like a normal no i i say normal because it, that's almost how it's gotten to be like it's not the right word for it but it's no. so like a regular occurrence yeah statistically yeah yeah, statistically and back then it was like oh columbine yeah there's a couple other ones it's like Those were horrible, but that's not gonna happen here. Yeah. That was the mentality when I was younger, but now now it's like, could it happen here? I don't know. Yeah. Well, and I think too about the idea
1: of so I grew up in a really small town. And so you knew just you knew everyone and you knew everyone's family. And like there were like you always knew the kids that had troubled like families. There just was never There was never that level and I think with I I mean, I don't know what all connects and intersects there, but it was it was never something that I think I had to worry about. I had homophobia and like hate crimes to worry about in different ways. Yeah. But gun violence in a small little farm town school was not it. Even though most of those troubled kids were probably had access to shotguns and rifles that just wasn't
0: I feel like the shootings happen at bigger schools. I'd have to look into that, but I don't know. I mean, well, maybe that's just the ones you hear about more. I don't know. That'd be an interesting stat to look at.
1: It's a really depressing stat. I'm going to be honest. Interesting, I said. Not,
0: not, yeah, not, not exciting, but something like, oh, well, what's going on here? Because, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a, there's more. Kids, you got to worry about at a bigger school too. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's easier to get. I think it's easier to get. Mom, I don't know. I've only had. I only had my experience, but getting being an outcast in a bigger school might play a bigger factor. Yeah.
1: I mean, you talk about you know being the kid that got kicked out of class, being the kid that didn't necessarily care about like school did you ever feel like that level of isolation like everyone else is on this track to get out of high school and go to college and i feel this other path
0: no not really uh i knew i was going to do it but i don't know if i was necessarily i I thought i had to do it Mm. not necessarily that i wanted to do it like i wanted to I was all about, you know, going to college because that's what you're supposed to do after high school is go to college and, and you get a good career and get a good job. And da, da, da. Uh, part of me was always like, well, it didn't take me long to realize that that wasn't enough. Uh, and school became very like, uh, I'll go and get my degree just because that seems like the thing I'm supposed to do. Yeah. And, but it was just an excuse to party more like, Oh, I'm in college. So it's fine. I'm partying like this. It's part of the culture. It's part of the culture. And then once I got out of school, the party didn't really stop. And I, you know, was dealing with, Oh, uh, I had a marketing degree Every place I would apply would be like, well, yeah, I see you have this degree, but where's your experience? I'm like, where was I supposed to get all of this experience? Like, I did an internship and I worked I and mean, I did retail, but it wasn't good enough, it seemed like, and every place I applied. I also wasn't the greatest interviewer back then. I wasn't very confident mm-hmm. in myself and I was more like, let me show you that I'm a good employee. Like, just give me the job. I, if I ever start a company, which I would plan to eventually and employ other people, I would like to have less of an interview process and more of like a trial run process. An
1: immersion. Like I'm, you're going to get in here and you're going to try this stuff. Yeah.
0: And if you don't like it, you don't like it with part ways. If you do like it and you're just terrible at it, we're going to have to have a tough conversation maybe. But if there's room for improvement and I can help you with that, then that's kind of how the, le- that's the leader I am now. I'm, I'm in leadership now and I've, um, I watched a funny TikTok about how leaders are, how millennial leaders are so much different than gen X mm-hmm. and the baby boomer generation and how we treat our employees just totally different. Yeah. Um, and one thing that, Was pointed out was just empathy and we can admit when we're wrong. Yep. There was a really
1: interesting um I don't think it was research, but it was like um this individual, I wanna say a sociologist, but I'm not gonna quote this appropriately. Yeah. Was talking about the difference in language and what language means and It was the difference in how millennials respond to when someone thanks them versus like a boomer or Gen X. And the response that they noticed was um, Gen X and boomers tend to say, you're welcome Mm -hmm. because it is, they are doing you a favor. They are, they are not expected to do that. And millennials will say, no worries. And they pointed out like millennials have been raised to understand that it's not enough to just finish school. You also have to be in sports and extracurriculars and you have to volunteer your time and you have to have a job at the same time. And it's like, you're expected to do so much. So when yeah. someone says, thank you so much for doing that, it is literally ingrained in our generation to think, no worries. Like I, I was going to do it no matter what you asked. Me, <laughs> yeah. Like. I was going to do it anyway. It's going to happen, but it's interesting the way you're talking about it. Cause the, well, at least the way you're talking about college and, and what, what you expected of yourself or what you felt expected of. It's almost like, like you're describing, like I wasn't, it wasn't enough for me. The party didn't stop. And it's like, you found this thing that was the, I call it the escalator, right? Like, especially for straight individuals. Sorry if I'm assuming you're straight. Like it just like, well, I'm, I'm very tragically straight. straight according okay. to some of my gay friends. Damn. They're <laughs> like, they're like calling your ass out. Like, Let's go. Like
0: you are so straight. <laughs>
1: Yeah, But like, if you think about it, your, your narrative, your story that you're supposed to buy into is high school, college or trade school. Oh yeah. And you should start a job right away. And by this time you should probably start to already have like a long-term partner because monogamy is the only way to do this. Thing. Oh yeah. And then marriage, kids, and just hustle for the rest of your life and then you should start living your life at 65 or 65 and a half depending on what you get to yeah but like that's like your brain your body got into that groove got into that escalator and got maybe to like the third or fourth step up and was like this fucking sucks
0: well we're all figuring out that it doesn't make any sense no it's so backwards yes yes it
1: well, if you think
0: about and it, it's not like, like don't and, and, and people say like you know millennials don't want to work it's like not that we don't want to work, it's like we don't want to be taken advantage of yes that's i mean that's one of the
1: reasons that I started Bloom therapy was i in grad school, you're really conditioned. I remember there was one professor in particular, and I love him dearly. he kind of like he held the space of like being a helper can be look like so many different things. So one of the projects he had us do was, you know, create this business proposal. Like in grad school, you mental health grad school, you never talk about money. You never talk about what it looks like to kind of make sure that you're also good. And like, you're moving forward in life. Mm-hmm. And I remember he did this and I created the, like, I spent hours on this thing and it actually was bloom therapy. And I remember I gave him reference images and I gave him a storyboard of like colors and thing, And he's like, it, this is amazing. Like, but you know, like the project was just needed to be these like certain items, and I had them in there, but I'd went so far because he you know, just opened my world. And I remember like every time that I would bring up like questions about like, what about private practice or hospital settings or just anywhere else other than nonprofit? And like you would feel this deep level of shame. They would like make you feel they
0: wanted you to do nonprofit.
1: Yeah. Like community mental health, which is great and yeah. it needs to be there. And we clearly need diversity in all of it. Yeah. And I remember when I got back into the nonprofit sector, there was this feeling of like, you can never do enough because I was a supervisor. So I would supervise staff and make sure all their caseloads were okay. And grant work and all of this stuff. And then I was also doing my own, like I was being a therapist and I started bloom therapy in COVID because I was like, there's gotta be something more out there for me. And I was approached by a lady that was, she was like, I'll do the billing, I'll do all your financial stuff, like, you could, you just get to do your therapy, and I was like, this sounds like the best gig, and then once, so I went from nonprofit using and abusing me, to this other group that basically, she was taking so much money off the top of every clinician, and not really doing the actual work that she had promised she would do, and I was like... So I'm just getting taken advantage of every step of my career at this point. Yeah. And so me and another lady, we decided we were like, let's take the gamble. Let's do it. And so we both jumped out and, and opened our own practices solely. And it's just this feeling of like, I don't I don't mind working. In fact, I love working. I love doing what I do. I just don't want to be taken advantage of. Yeah. And I don't want someone to basically like sit there and be like, I'm going to push some buttons and take a lot of your hard work off the top.
0: I think the generations before us were conditioned to believe it is what it is. This is what you have to do. This is the system. This is it. This is how you play the game. Or you're just in the game.
1: What did your parents do or did for work? Because I'm assuming they're retired now.
0: Yes. uh, They started a... Uh, business uh, when i was started in 95 and my dad and his business partner and my mom and my dad's business partner's wife all worked together and started a company that started out by printing uh manuals for a i won't get too specific it was for a uh appliance company mm-hmm. and a large appliance company and they kind of expanded, did some warehousing, started doing assembly, doing more parts for the refrigerators and the other appliances and uh mainly refrigerators and freezers. And it just kinda kept growing and it allowed uh my dad to retire at a relatively young age yeah uh, on his early 50s and um his business partner was a little older Mm -hmm. so he was ready to get out and he's like well i think i could do that too and my mom did a lot of stuff behind the scenes and then helping with us uh you know i'm one of three um middle child um oh my god
1: yes okay
0: yeah. yeah full picture I'm starting to get it starting to get it now okay yep. yeah yep. yeah. so that's why I um I think that's why I'm a comedian yeah but uh <laughs> yeah they were able to retire uh at a young younger age and uh they've been they've been living the dream ever since basically and uh I would like to and they didn't just work themselves to death they yeah. they grinded they worked their ass off for a long time and got out while they could still enjoy it
1: yeah
0: not everybody gets to do that and um i would like to have a little bit of both you know i be i was gonna ask you. i'm not saying they didn't enjoy the time they were working we i got to go on vacations and you know i had a really good childhood when it comes to like having good family time and holidays and things like that. And yeah. So, um, but they were very, it's a very American dream story though. Yeah. I I was going to ask, do you carry that as like a legacy
1: burden? Like there can be a lot of pressure there with, you know, mom and dad made this work and and we're self-employed and that like effort.
0: Um, not really. Uh, I thought, It was going to be more of a, uh, there would be more of a push for me or my brother, who both went to business school, to take over the business Mm -hmm. instead of them selling it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there was not. Uh, Obviously, we were asked if we had any interest in it. Mm -hmm. We did not. And I didn't, you know, I... I didn't want to take on that kind of responsibility if I wasn't into it, you know? Yeah. And my dad totally understood that, which was awesome. And, uh, my brother hasn't lived in the quad cities for a while. He lives in Chicago, so he didn't want to move back to the quad cities. He loves Chicago. So he's staying there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I don't look at it that way. Uh, I do look at it as a little bit of a competition, to see if I can retire earlier than them, just like a personal thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, not really. Like a super healthy inside that brain I hear. Like you're like dad retired at fifty three. Get ready, fifty two and a
0: half. Yeah, it's coming. Because uh, and and he, and a uh, part of it is, um, you know, and, you know, who knows if he'll still still be alive at that point. But it, it, if he is. He would love it if I would just like, because we'd like to talk, we've always liked to talk crap. Um, And if I could be like, hey, I beat you by two years or something like that. And then he, would, he would think that's funny. I don't really like to intermingle my job in the podcast on these episodes. So I edited a little bit out here. So, yeah, that's why there's a gap. But back to it. Because I know I do a lot of stuff outside of work. Yeah. A lot so, of your passions. Yeah.
1: Cause I mean, you were, we had met for coffee and you were talking about like comedy mm-hmm. is one of those things. The podcast is one of those things. I mean, and I think there's so much to be said about like, it's hard when you're in that building space where it's like, I have to, I have to live in this present moment and not, not look to the end of this journey. Like I'm in foundation mode still. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I don't know. Do you know who Mel Robbins is? I don't want to like heard the name. Okay. Okay. Right. She, like, she had this quote, and I don't know why this is the one that sticks with me, but she talks about, and it's basically Miley Cyrus' The Climb, but she's like, you know, you don't look when you're hiking at the end destination. You look down at your feet, you look at the next step, because otherwise you're going to fumble. Oh, yeah. And that's where you find meaning and purpose in life. If you know that the end is like, I want to be a comedian with my own special, and I want to be on these platforms, and, you know, X, Y, Z, if you're always looking there, that's like the ideal and you're real is what you're doing today. It's I'm recording podcasts. I'm, I'm living my life and staying aware of like what I can source. Yeah, not jokes. getting
0: too far ahead of myself has been very, very important to me.
1: Oh God. Yes. Cause I mean, with your mental health too, you got to think about if I give it too much, Oh, it could take it and it could run with it. And I imagine that's where some of the addiction came for you, which is it's, it, it can be exhausting to live in a brain that is neurodivergent or that just has so much going on without any real skills or assistance with managing it. Yeah. So it's like Escape, escape, yeah. escape. Oh God, yes.
0: God yes. I was thinking And dumbing a- myself down too. Just sl- slowing everything down or dumbing everything down. Um just so like that's I think that's where drinking came in was I could And also, you know, when it came to drinking, I could. There was the liquid courage aspect of it and talking to other people. And um, I'm good at talking to people one on one, but in certain settings, I can get a little social anxiety here and there. But um, it's gotten better, especially after doing comedy, because that's one of the most. Oh, I
1: bet you it humbles you real quick, but it can also build the ego real quick, too. Both of
0: those things. I've never let it, I've never been an ego driven person, and I'm so glad because I've met a lot of people that are. Mm -hmm. And, um, obviously, I want, I, I, I want to be liked. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't? You're human. And I want to, I like, I want to be validated. I like when people, you know, um, Come up to me after the show and tell me that I did a good job or tell me that I was funny. Um, but there's still part of me that's like, if I know them and they come up to me after the show, do, did they did they just say that because they know me and they came to the show? Did they actually enjoy the show? But the coolest ones are, and not to take discount anyone who's coming to my shows and enjoy and actually enjoying it because they enjoy my material and they just enjoy me in general, but. I had a random, uh, I say kid, like I'm an old man Cause he's like in his early twenties mm-hmm. come up to me after the show. And he's like, dude, you were my favorite. And there was like seven or eight of us and they were all pretty strong comics. Like, yeah. and he's like, dude, you're my favorite. You're, like, and I, and I thought I did pretty well. It wasn't like my strongest like performance. Yeah. 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 But, um, and he, he's like, Say so, yeah, let me get your like your social your socials and stuff like that. I'm like, like oh, I'm at this point like where people are asking for my like to follow me on stuff. Like, it was very like, um, it was it's very cool and very and I just accepted that. I but at some sometimes it's like I've talked about this on the podcast before. Taking compliments and accepting compliments mm-hmm. is still difficult for me sometimes because i'm just like like we were talking about earlier like yeah like no worries i'm just doing what i'm doing like i was gonna do that anyway this is no big deal like legitimate that isn't shit like
1: yeah do you ever i mean because i i noticed this in myself when i opened bloom therapy like i had always dreamed of i like when i was a kid i think it looked very different but i wanted to open some kind of space where like queerness could be represented
0: yeah we can just be yourself and be yeah
1: and like and accept other people i think that's one thing that i do just instinctively because i'm like everyone deserves to be accepted as they are yeah but there's like this point and i remember one of my friends i was like it's like i don't know i just feel like there's gonna like i need to get to the next step of being a business owner like i need to get to and they were like Girl, there's literally no extra step. Like you own the business, you yeah. do all these things. It is what it is. And do you ever find that, like, as a comedian, as someone who does podcasting, like, has all these outlets? Do you ever feel like you're like waiting for the point where you feel like a comedian, or you feel like, oh, I've done it. I've done. I yeah. I now get to claim the identity comedian.
0: I've claimed the comedian because okay. I've been paid. The paycheck meant the- once I got and it was never she collected her bag yeah yeah i got my bag which was never it's never (laughs) been a big bag i think the most i made off a comedy and for one well i hosted a show and i made some money off of that but that was different for me just me performing was like 40 bucks or something like that like and if you think about it though i was on stage for like 10 minutes that's good paycheck for 10 minutes back to that hourly that's pretty solid yeah Uh, and yeah, I do have some shows coming up, but uh, I've done shows in the past and I feel like also there's like a kind of a new school of comedy, mm-hmm. like a new school of er- of everything. Like, you know, the uh, as uh, the millennials are taking over and, you know, really starting to run the show more. Things are changing. And with comedy, it used to be there was like this unwritten rule. Like you had to do all these open mics. You had to grind it out. Yeah. Do all these shows. And then you get a shot at doing something cooler, a bigger showcase or whatever. Yeah. But now it's like, dude, you're funny. We're going to put you on a show. Come do it. Yeah, come do it. Yeah. And sometimes that's not always a good thing because some people, you know, you may see them one night and they're hilarious. Yeah. But they're not consistently funny. Yeah. And uh, that's where I can see some of the, you know, you got to you gotta earn your stripes. You got to, you know, that, I get that. And I'm very like, I still have, I have that mentality because I, I grew up watching comedy and I know some comedians and in the area that have done some cool stuff like Chris Schlichting. hmm And um, he's been doing comedy for almost 20 years now. Damn. That's awesome. And that's insane, but that's not his full-time job. Yep. Um, I know he would like it to be, and he's very – he's so close. Yeah. he's And he knows it too. Um, I've tried to get him on the podcast. Maybe one day he'll fold, but he's very uh, – doesn't do a lot of podcasts in general other people have asked him so locally anyway mm-hmm. which is fair but uh um,
1: i like that you're just like calling him out and like i will if you leave this in the podcast like i feel like i'd tag him i'd be like hey oh yeah this
0: he loves getting tagged so i'll tag him yeah and be like, be, hey, like
1: minute marker this just yeah. so you're aware
0: this to this <laughs> we talk about you specifically chris and and roast you yeah no this isn't roasting i love chris i Um, I haven't had the opportunity to, uh, I've only been a part of one roast. Roasts are so fun though. Um, no, but I will, uh, give him a hard time because I, I know he'd be an awesome guest. Uh, not just as a comedian, but just as a person. He's a, he's a great guy and, uh, he's a teacher. He's, uh, he works with, um, I won't say exactly. Well, you could easily look up where he works. Uh, his name is not John Smith. Yeah. So, pretty obvious, yeah. <laughs> pretty obvious, but he works with more the troubled youth. Yeah. And uh, you got to have thick skin for that, man. And you got to be, well, being funny probably helps him a lot. Oh, I bet. I bet you know what's interesting though is you're talking about him
1: and talking about your story like I almost like see like I mean and I think this is where again like I could tie it to mental health is that idea of if if you're always seeking some kind of some outlet like I was thinking about this the other day one of my friends is is writing a book right now and there's such a beautiful creative there, this person that I think I'm like, if I could just absorb your spirit or bottle it, I feel like it would just do yeah. so well. Because she's like, I I want to write it because I like writing. And if it gets published, great. Like she just has that mentality. And then things tend to really that's flow well. That's my approach to
0: comedy. And
1: I think that's such a beautiful way of reframing it in your brain. Because if the metric is New York Times bestseller or Netflix stand-up special... No. It becomes so exhausting and takes all of your. I don't want that. Out of it.
0: Don't want that at all.
1: Okay, so then what is?
0: What is like the the hope? I mean, I'd take it. I mean, it'd be cool. He I, said he'd take it. <laughs> I, I'd accept. I would Netflix. Ex- I would. Ex- <laughs> I would accept that, but it's there is really it's just. I just want to see what happens. You're on it's for the, the ride. It's a, It's a. The mystery. The. The approach and the the uh, the journey is is so fun. I met so many cool people. Comedians are just very interesting people, mm-hmm. and uh, the funnier they are, the more interesting and weird they are. And I and I don't say weird in a negative way. I love weird people. It's like a badge of honor. It's like a badge of honor, and um, it's actually revamped the the podcasts uh i started i was stuck for a while and i was like who am i gonna have on i didn't um you know i didn't know a lot of people uh i knew some people in recovery and i had had them on Mm -hmm. and also sometimes with the people in my recovery i don't want to blur the lines yeah the boundaries the boundaries the anonymity and all that stuff and uh once I got into comedy, it was like a it was like a two for one. Like I get to do comedy and I get to meet all these interesting people, and most of these interesting people like to talk about themselves. So it was like win win.
1: Yeah.
0: I don't want to talk about comedy for my my podcast is not a comedy podcast, so I have to. There, there's also that too. I have to like make sure I. Uh, How come? And, and and not that I'm, like, asking you to, like, rebrand yourself, but, yeah. like, I mean... I th- well, I think I think comedy can be a part of it, because uh, I don't want this to be, like, a deadpan, serious... We're talking mental health. We're talking mental health, because then, well, yeah, what's the point of that? That's not who I am. I decided to talk about how I would like to combine my comedy and my mental health advocacy with the podcast and the modern day overthinker brand together somehow in the future with content, trying to create more content on social media. I'd very much like to mesh the two. Yeah. But, um, I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, with, uh, maybe I just got asked to speak, to do comedy for a local non-profit. It's not official yet, so I won't say anything. I just got asked to do it today and I don't really know much of the details yet. Uh, and I'm going to they do like a monthly event mm. and uh I'm like I got to think of some more mental health jokes or some mm. more like anxiety or depression or OCD jokes that are relatable, you know, Yeah. and not like obviously punching down jokes, like use myself as the, the metric or the, the joke. <laughs> yeah. Well,
1: that's, I mean, with your brand, like modern day overthinker, yeah. I think so much of that is like, it, it beautifully ties together both parts of you, the mental health and the comedian. Cause I mean, being a middle child, I mean, if we think very, very much family systems theory, like you're the forgotten, you're the invisible, (laughs) which only leaves you to be the most observant observer of your family system and of a lot of the systems you're in. So if I think about where that brain started and how like jokes started to come together, it's like, it might've been the, the soothing, like if I can make this funny in my own head, or if I can just make, find the punchline. And kind of take the piss out of this thing. Like, it'll be okay. Which might also be why you were always trying to get kicked out of class. You're like, this ain't funny. And everyone here has forgotten. So, fuck it. I'm going to go for the punchline. Sorry, Miss Wolf. I don't know if you had a teacher named Miss Wolf. But like, I feel like there's <laughs> a lot of I didn't, but
0: I feel like a lot of people did.
1: Yeah. It seems like a teacher name. I it's feel such like a teacher name. Yeah. If your last name is Wolf, you're probably going to be a math teacher.
0: Yeah. Uh, I also think, yeah, the, from being observational, it's also tied into relationships. Like people don't realize how much I'm paying attention. Mm. Like, uh, I remember my, my ex was like, you remember a lot of stuff. Like I told you, I was like, yeah, I'm just paying attention. Like just listening, just listening. And she's like, who are you? Or what? it was a compliment for sure. And yeah. cause she wasn't used to that. Um, and, uh, yeah, you'd be surprised at how many people and which you probably know you talk to and you're like, did they get any of that? <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. It, but you know, here's where I try and bring it back to for, for
0: me at least it's, don't get me wrong. There's times where I zone out and oh. I, I'm yeah, and I'm Losing working it. on that, would, especially with the ADD stuff. I've been talking to my psychiatrist about that mm-hmm. and working on the ADD. And I'm like, do I really have to have another diagnosis?
1: One more. Another one. DJ Callahan. Yeah. It's like, the mental health. One.
0: Yeah. <laughs> like, really? Just give me them all. Jeez. Yeah. At this point. Uh, but it's like, okay. I, I accepted it. It was an acceptance thing for me because I was like, no. Yeah. Uh, and I'm finally approaching that part of it because for a long time it was like we need to focus on OCD, we need to focus on anxiety, which is a big part of it and the depression but she's like I notice you're all you can be kind of all over the place or yeah, scatterbrained and not able to, and I was noticing it at work and I'm like, I, I really need to get a hold of this otherwise I'm not going to be able to keep my job because I'm going to yeah. be all over the place it's you know, it's
1: fascinating because in the fourth wave of counseling, so we went through three waves and the third wave was feminist and fourth wave is more geared towards this lens of we're all a smattering of all the things like, you know, if I think about it, there are some, some minor, like if the spectrum is like diagnosable OCD falls up here and like just everyday OCD like experiences over here. Like everyone is basically all these slider scales and if you're a human being, you should have, like
0: we're learning about autism.
1: Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I will never forget the, the day that I started my own personal therapy journey and my therapist was like asking me about some of my like family members. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone has any mental health stuff. Like I think like, not to say I'm the first or, like, I need to be, like, this, like, unique creature. Um, and then, like, as we dove in, she's like, I think you're like, your mom has a severe amount of anxiety from what you describe how she treated you. And she's like, and your dad sounds like he either has some, like, ADHD or, like, some kind of, mm-hmm. like, attention thing. And it just, like, broke my world open where I was like, oh, I guess we all kind of have... yeah. Our own stuff. Like it just
0: Zach and I decided to talk a lot about listening here.
1: Do you feel like it's born out of anxiety or do you feel like it's just something that you're like, I love learning more about people. I love hearing more about what you think.
0: Uh there's that and it gets me out of my head too. I mean it really does. That escape is um it is an escape. And I don't even do it consciously. Yeah. Um, and I've noticed yeah that it's it's kept me out of uh, you know helping and listening to other people has kept me out of working out on my own stuff yeah and I've noticed that happening in the past I have, it still happens sometimes but less often I'm. it's boundaries is, yeah is what has been way more important to me as of I don't know how long ago but not that long ago yeah I actually, I, I was, I
1: was doing some continuing education and it kind of struck me. They, they were talking about addictions in particular and how, you know, we have these big highlighted ones that we kind of see as more, um, acceptable or like, um, they make sense, right? Like, you know, substances make sense to be outside of your brain, to numb things, to excite Mm -hmm. things. And I like, was never understanding why I feel this sense of like, I love talking to people. Like I love, I love being a therapist, but I am also the person that like, I cannot not ask people very deep questions Oh yeah, at Target. And like, sometimes my boyfriend will be like, can we just get deodorant <laughs> and get out of here without you asking someone about their relationship? And I, I didn't realize until this person put it, but it was like, she's like, I'm addicted to people. And I was like, oh. And she's like, mm. I filter it like because of the trauma I've experienced. And I think this deeply speaks to my story. is like I have lived understanding what other people need and filtering that back through me and then being like, okay, I know how to manage that. And so the addiction to people, to being around people, to oh, like... Yeah being what they need became such a pervasive thing. And I like, once she had said it, I remember like I went home and I like closed my bedroom door and I was just like, okay. So I went to this thinking I was getting an hour and a half of continuing education. And I now need to re-enter my therapy journey or like go to a shaman or do something healing because this cracked open a code for me, like Mm -hmm. being addicted to people. And I wonder if similar for you, when you say I get out of my brain, I wonder if you are, Addicted to people in a way.
0: Oh, in a way, yeah. And I think it's it's a double-edged sword. Oh, God, yes. Because I'm addicted to people in a sense that I like talking to them. I like hearing them. I like hearing their stories, different perspectives. And, you know, that's why I love doing the podcast. Yeah. And uh, I know you were talking about... You know, asking people questions and talking to them. Have you noticed that you don't even have to ask the questions sometimes? Absolutely, people just it it's it's go time.
1: And I equate it to I don't know like this guy's safe. I'm just gonna tell him. I'm going for it. I I always think of it so like I think I'm one of the least. like how do I want to put it least scary individuals you're ever going to meet in your life. I think the intersection of being, being both a flamboyant queer individual and just yes, queening with the best of them <laughs> to then also the fact that like everywhere I go, I am very much like, I'm always dressed in a way that kind of tells people like right from the bat, It's like, here she comes. Like we know, we know her. And It is like, I'm like just standing in line and all of a sudden I'll be like, "Mm." and I'll be like, I'll be responding to someone's conversation that I'm not in. And then somehow be (laughs) roped into it where it's like, now I'm listening to you about your sister's divorce. Yeah. Sounds like your sister's going through a lot right now. And sometimes like, you're just like, I'm in this. Well, and my boyfriend has this thing. He actually stole it from my friend, but like. He'll be like mm, just having some big feelings right now that's that's my cue that i'm doing too much in a target he'll be like mm, so everyone's feeling some big feelings right now and that's supposed to be like my like our like safe word for him to be like i don't give a flying fuck about what patricia's going through at target zach like i want to go home uh, yeah. and so usually if i hear big feelings i'm like it happened it did oops i did it again britney spears style like uh, it's going down
0: I don't even want to talk about Britney Spears. I love her, but... Let's get
1: into it. What's the tea? Why don't... What's wrong? Did you see the ranting video at the restaurant? I did not. You need to get on gay Twitter because (laughs) gay Twitter keeps... Everyone
0: told me to get on gay TikTok, uh, and I was for a little while. uh, And
1: then you watched some different videos and your For You page got fucked.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Twitter gay Twitter I need gay Twitter right now for a post I just put up because they would support it yeah because uh and it's not even it has nothing to do with that community but I feel like they could relate to what I was saying I actually meant to say gay TikTok not gay Twitter here just to clarify and uh yeah that video is on my TikTok if you want to comment but we'll talk about that here right now because they're very supportive of when you say the, you know, people, when it comes to women and the LGBTQ community kind of, yeah. Uh, intersecting a little bit yep. on their experiences. So I put out a, uh, a friend of mine, an online friend of mine. I have some online who doesn't have a few online. Very friends? millennial
1: millennial of you. Yeah. Like.
0: One of my online friends that I, uh, connected with on TikTok Cause it's, we like each other's content. And, uh, I asked her, I was like, because I was looking for content ideas and I was like, what, what's a, what's something you'd like to hear a man, a man talk about? Cause I'm trying to do, do a thing where I'm, cause one thing I've noticed on TikTok hearing women talk about is they're like, men aren't vulnerable enough mm. and things of that nature. I'm like, I'm super vulnerable. So yeah, like, let's get into let's, it. Let's. And then I got I got roasted. I actually got called a soy boy because I wasn't being masculine enough. Oh, so there's where the patriarchy is violent against you. Yeah. It was funny. What she asked me to make a video about, which I think is an important thing to talk about, is she asks, she goes, do men care about women's body counts? Mm, What's your
1: answer? I did not see your post yet. So what is your answer? Do you care? No. Thank the fucking Lord.
0: Dude. Wh- there are on. so many other things for me to care about than that.
1: Yeah. and the- As long as we're practicing safe sex, right? Like, exactly. That's the important thing. Yeah,
0: if you're just out here wilding, like, I, you know, I, I gotta be safe. I gotta be safe. There's that aspect of it. But you, as a single woman doing whatever you want to do or if you're in a relationship where you have that agreement, I couldn't be in a relationship like that, but if you are, go for it. That's your thing. I'm more of a for a relationship, it's me and you type of thing. Um, I yeah, the polyamory thing I couldn't do, it would just destroy my head, but I know that. Uh, but no, my thing is like so many men came in on the com- comments, not a ton yet, it hasn't got a ton of views, but it's more comments than I've gotten in a while, and that were saying that basically the body count is equivalent to whether or not you can trust them mm-hmm. and i'm just like where how mm-hmm. does that correlate just because they've may have slept with a lot of men or women or whatever mm-hmm. in the past what does that have to do with their loyalty it doesn't In what I'm I can understand like if they have a history of cheating, yeah, red flag. Yeah.
1: But that's a behavior. That's a behavior. That is not a I have sexual needs and while I'm single or in relationships that I am open or polyamorous, I'm getting my needs met. And
0: I also understand if I flip the script and like, yeah, if I was if I was born a woman or in a remotely attractive woman and I had the sexual desires I do as a man or just, just I do now I would be a terror. It would be. Yeah. I think that's where like,
1: again, gay men, we are so comfortable with sex and sexuality. And it's such a part of our culture, like a part of like what you do as a, a queer man that like both me and my partner, when we talk about it, like sometimes I, I went on a bachelorette party back in July and it was kind of like, I luckily I'm. It's very hard to shame me when it comes to sex or sexuality because yeah. I've just done that work. But I remember I was in this room full of ladies. I was the only man. I was the the bridesman, and we were talking. The
0: bridesman. That's it,
1: awesome. Very great title, right? But we were talking about like body counts and like these numbers started. And I was the last one to go and I was like, oh, I know this is going to be it. But like the first individual was like three. The next one was like 10. One of them got pretty spicy and was like 21. And I was like, okay, we're getting closer. Like, yeah. And then it gets to my number. And I like, I don't actually have a number to be quite frank. So I usually like ballpark it. And I give basically like, I know it's less than this, but I know it's higher than this. Same. And it, to me it's like one sorry mom. I'm yeah. Apologies. I luckily my mom doesn't know how to work podcasts, so like yeah. even people who link her were
0: good. Yeah. But I remember She saw my video actually and liked it. So
1: good for you. Yeah.
0: The support. I love that. A mom that supports yeah. she's like good, good, good for no, you. She's she's full fully supportive of the podcast and the comedy. My dad loves the comedy more, which is awesome. Yeah. Well, just supportive in any way, right? Because the coolest thing that's happened to me – well, let's keep talking about this. We'll, we'll get back into the comedy in a second. Uh, I don't want to ruin where we're at with that. But you understand where I'm coming from. Like, why the connection between body count and, I, you know,
1: like My- – my what's your theory on that my take on it doing some of the sex therapy stuff and the the continuing education is it is a mirror holding up to those individuals yeah so if you see someone who fully owns themselves who it's so judgy it it absolutely is and i think about it in this way like i remember i worked with a couple pretty early on in my career and the the so it was a male female dynamic and the the woman was upset that the male was masturbating to porn. Oh, okay. And you know, like I I kept in mind all the context and you know, one of the things I had asked was like, you know, do you engage in solo sex practices? And like, that was a quick, hard, like the room, the energy sucked out of the room. I was like, "Mm, I fucked up with that one. Okay, sure, sure, sure. But I got to this point with them where, and then they never came afterwards, but I felt good about what we were able to open up was like, You get to have say in the partnered practices you have, but in people's solo sex practices, what they do to take care of themselves, you don't get to control that. And I think the same when you're not someone's partner. Like me and my partner. You could not agree
0: with it, maybe. Yeah.
1: And and again, to keep in mind, like the porn that he was watching was not like underage, it wasn't somehow illegal. It was very, it was almost. Like not to no again, I hope this individual doesn't listen, but like it was so boring, it was typical, and I was like, Yeah, yeah, this makes sense. Like you go away for trips for multiple weeks, like Yeah, dude's gotta it's it's gonna happen. He's a individual with needs. Yeah. But I always think about the body count question as if you feel so insecure and feel like you do not provide enough or like you can never meet a certain standard, you're gonna try and find something in that person that allows you to be superior. And body count becomes this metric yeah. that you can hold against a woman. However, I always think it's paradoxical that because that same man will love the skills that that woman brings to the bedroom and the fact that she can communi- communicate very articulately exactly what she wants and what she enjoys. Yeah. Like, she gives you the roadmap to the orgasm, and you're like, I like this. this the instructions is- are good. Amen, because yeah. we're not mind readers as sexual partners. Yeah. Like, you should... I'm reading your body language, but specifically for male and female partners, like, I don't have your body parts, so I don't know how they work, so I do my research, I watch a lot of porn, I read books, I do whatever I need to do, but um, say yes to more, say no to less, like, turn left, go up. Like, that Friends episode, do you remember where they were, like, given the roadmap of, like... So it's in seven quadrants, and she's like, so you start with a one. I actually
0: never got into Friends. I know you're going to hate me for that. No,
1: no, no. No tea, no shade. But like that one episode that got, got pulled in, and it's actually pretty funny. It's uh, Rachel and Monica, so Courtney Cox and Jennifer Aniston, teaching the men about um, eating them out. Oh. And so they nice. give them quadrants, and it's funny because they're like, quadrants. you got to go like a one, a one, two, three, a two, a two, a, two, a seven. Seven, and like you can tell, they're all getting real into it. And I like always think about that. I'm like, think about if that was how normal we had these conversations as partners. Like, the sex would be amazing. Like, you would get what you need. Communication is so important for so many different things, sex being one of them, but probably the most important way of communicating because there is so much wrapped up in that. There's so much of our our humanity. There's so much of our. I mean, it's called Eros. It's the energy of the erotic, the energy of the creative. It's where like your life force lives. Mm. And so, I mean, that's where a lot of trauma can happen is, you know, if you don't feel heard, if you don't feel understood, if you don't feel safe to do those things. So you're okay with a woman with a high body count. Do you prefer it?
0: I wouldn't say I, pre- I Now the, we're getting into the weeds. The, the amount that I don't care is pretty... Substantial. It's pretty substantial, okay. and kind of almost funny. If you're still listening, I appreciate it. I hope you're following, subscribed on your favorite podcast platform, and if you're able to leave a review, I would really appreciate it. Back to it. At a certain time, maybe I would have, you know, when I was younger, mm-hmm. uh, I would have thought, oh, you know, she's been, you know, da- damaged, good, she's used, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah. But now I'm just like. Having you know lived a little bit longer and experienced uh more and met more women and it's just like there are so many other things that I wanna know before that matter that, that matter, yeah, yeah, sure tell me for. For funsies, Let, let's, uh, let's 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 compare. have a fun date night. Yeah, let's <laughs> let's compare. Like, as long as it's not gonna burn any bridges, you know. I I don't know if I would like to know how women feel about body counts. I've never really talked about that. I don't think they care as much because they think, oh, men are just being men, you know, mm-hmm. da, 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 all that stuff. It's like, but when you think about it. Women are from my point of view, I think if you're an attractive woman you can kinda of hand pick mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um if you're a straight attractive woman, you can hand Because I know men I know men uh we're pretty we're pretty simple when it comes to that kind of stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Um and I know I am, uh took me a second to get to this thought, but bear with me. Most women I know, they have like... I wouldn't say... Not all of them have a roster, mm-hmm. but they easily have a- access. I used uh, to
1: call it my lineup. Yeah. I would have A, B, C, and D. Yeah, at all times. Yeah. But that's that's more gay culture, too. And I would say straight women definitely... I mean... I'll say this as the person that has many a girlfriend that comes to them to talk about sex. I think there is more, and I'm speaking of one person in particular who I know will listen to the podcast. So hello, you know who you are. I'm speaking directly (laughs) about your life. Um, She does. She has a lot more say and a lot more control. I think sometimes she gets twisted where she'll say like, she's like, I don't think I do, but I'm like, pussy power like you you have a lot there's a lot
0: there is a lot of power there
1: control yeah and it's funny because sometimes like i have to give her like the gay older brother like okay so if we're hooking up with men we don't give them an art tour of our home and basically show them every single space that you can't get out of and she's like i would have never thought of that i'm like yeah, girl, like you don't go like, let me show you all the things hung up in my house. But that's what she does with like the men that she invites over. She's like, would you like an art tour? And she's like, it's because I'm uncomfortable in the moment. I want to make myself feel comfortable. I'm like, you do not walk them around your home goods like things. You're like, what do you think of this? They Is don't it nice. They don't care. She, But here's what she does. She fishes for compliments. She goes uh. fishing. And when they give them, she's like, okay. We're good. We're good. And then in the morning... Not jewelry, necessarily
0: about her, but just her Oh, stuff. she speaks
1: them about her, too. Like, and she knows how to get them. She once, we got... So she got her haircut, and it was beautiful. Like, don't get me wrong. Mm. Great haircut. You looked great. But we went to a restaurant, and the waiter came up, and he asked her what she wanted for food. She did not answer his question. She goes, I just got my haircut. What do you think of it? It Doesn't it look nice? Like, basically gave him the compliment, and he gives it back to her, and she felt so good. I'm like, you trapped him. You literally said, here's your script. Read it for me. Like, yeah, it's
0: like, the guy wants a tip. He's not going to be like, it's shitty. But like, she's brutal. Like,
1: doesn't this hair look nice? I just got it cut. And she did a little flip. I'm like, oh my
0: god, you're insufferable. Like, how do you do that? <laughs> Amazing. Oh, man. But yeah, I would be interested. Maybe I'll do a, a, a second part to that video and or have her do a video. Yeah. And about women and how they feel about men's body. Just for just for the heck of it. I always think,
1: you know, I mean, and again, maybe maybe this is the the bubble that I live in being having so many queer friends. Mm-hmm. Like it's very known that like most of my friends body counts are 50 plus. Mhm. And if they're on the lower end of that number, that like there's a little bit of ostracization in the community. It's like, what did you, did you get married when you were 25? Like what happened? And so I guess like to me, when people talk about body count, I'm like, the more the merrier, like, especially if that's what you enjoy. And if you don't, like, that's also beautiful. And I'm not taking that away from you. Cause my one friend is deeply, deeply satisfied with her sex life. And I think she said, when she was given the number at the bachelorette party, I think she said she had had like four sexual partners. She's like, I'm really happy. So it's like, why can we not create space for all of that? The women that want four or just one and the women that want 200, like as long as we're all safe and getting checked regularly and doing the things that make us healthy adults.
0: Yeah. As long as I can trust you, that's all I care about really for the most part. Amen. Ooh, Ooh, for the most part, tell me more. For the tell most me part. more. What do you mean? Uh trust is a huge thing. Uh if I can't trust you, there's the relationship's not gonna go very far. Yeah. Um if I'm paranoid from the beginning whether or not like something's gonna happen, that's a red flag that Are you in tune with that though? Yeah.
1: Like that's a pretty like apparent thing to you. Like you go to dinner and you're like Hmm.
0: Well not the first date or anything, but it's something I could Yeah or even if i'm wrong and think that mm. i can't do it like if i have this preconceived notion which is terrible uh, it hasn't happened in a while but uh or if i know that they've been in a relationship and they've cheated on somebody that's tough for me to get over yeah i'd really have to do you ever ask them like would
1: you ever open up that question yeah
0: i would because i've that's another thing that doing this podcast and just in general and being someone who likes to talk to people and isn't all about I I hate small talk Mm -hmm. and we talked about that the other day yeah yeah uh and yeah I'm more about uh yeah let's get right to it and uh having those conversations I don't it makes it way easier to bring the bring things like that up
1: I always and I think this is this is. I bring it into my therapy. I think this is more of who I am as a person. I try and reflect on like what what does it activate in me? What does it bring up in me? Because I always think about like if someone has done the cheating right and acknowledges it and and can open that space up, and I still feel this sense of distrust. Like, what is it in me that's mm. being helped? Oh yeah, because. I do know some clients and like clients that I've worked with in the past that have done cheating. And like, I like in therapy, I offer offer them the space to explore that. Like, you know, your work now is to figure out like, can your partner that you're currently with, are they at a space in their life where they can handle that? Like, you know, their mom didn't die yesterday and you're about to be like, Hey, I also cheated on you. Like maybe now we need to think about how to do less harm in this moment you know, what led you there? Like what things were you missing? What things have you not worked on to be able to say to your partner, like, Hey, you know, we have sex once a week. And I notice I am just so, so turned on all the time that I, I really could use some more partnered experiences or, but it's about like what it does in you. And so when you say about trust, I wonder if some of the addict like experiences in you where you're like, I don't know if I can always trust my impulse control. I don't know if I can always trust those things. And so when someone else feels distrusting, it's like, does that bring up the part of me that also distrusts myself?
0: Yeah. Food for thought. Yeah. And it's <laughs> good. Like I said, it's gotten better because I've realized just from personal experience and as far as myself and other people that I've met, that people are capable of change. Yep. And somebody that, you know, slept around a lot, you know, has a high body count. That doesn't mean they're going to continue sleeping around when you're in a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. That's just what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And that was them for a while. Uh, Some people don't change. Mm -hmm. But everybody is capable of it. I would absolutely agree. If they want to change. And that's a huge thing when it comes to addiction. So here, Zach and I talked about how I felt when I first got into recovery. I was just like, I'm so done with living the way I was living and disappointing people all the time, disappointing myself all the time. I was just done. I was... Completely, just shattered. Uh, I know. I but the thing is, the thing that keeps me like grounded is I know I could do more damage, mm. and I've seen people—they call it going back out. Yeah, do more damage, and some of them make it back, some of them don't, and. You know and then there's part of me that's like oh you could go back you go just start drinking again you'll be fine as long as you stay off the harder stuff yeah and it's like mm. why yeah all the all the signs are saying things have been good without that so why would you even introduce it in your life it didn't really benefit you before why do you think it's going to benefit you now
1: yeah what what changes about this
0: moment and
1: I think that's true of mental health treatment too. Like if I like, again, like addictions treatment, mental
0: health treatment, Yeah, you
1: gotta want to, you gotta want to do it and and you gotta
0: put in some work too. You can't just, it's not going to just, no magic spell.
1: But I also think, and I think this is where the role of a therapist can be to be that patient relationship that holds you each and every week. And I think that's something I really pride myself on. Like accountability or holding people accountable. Like I'll never like coddle, but I I really deeply try and hold this space of like, if you've never had someone who like you know if I have a client who's dealing with like binge eating you know if I if you've never had someone just gently hold you and recognize like it is hard to change that behavior mm-hmm. it's it's hard to do something with that yeah I'm gonna you know we're gonna work on tools we're gonna work on skills and I'm also gonna be compassionate when you relapse because that's a part of the journey is sitting in contemplation it's making the steps to change it's especially back.
0: especially i could only imagine with with food because you need food it's so tricky
1: but the same with all of the substances that you're talking about i mean they are so prevalent in our society oh yeah it's hard not to be in some of the adult spaces that we're in and not have like a heat seeking in your brain of like i know it's over there like and i feel
0: you can kind of feel isolated sense yeah i've learn to shut that out Mm -hmm. and also just accept that I'm the guy that that's not drinking. And also I've noticed a trend of people that didn't necessarily have a problem with drinking. They might've drank a little bit too much Mm -hmm. that are just, you're like, this isn't healthy for me yeah, and just kind of cut it out. And it's a, you know, people get on a health kick and you know, it used to be just, you know, going on a diet and, Booze wouldn't leave the diet. Mm-hmm. But now that's a part of it. Like, oh, this is holding me back. Yeah.
1: I, when I was in undergrad and even like the beginnings of grad school, I was I was a big stoner. And yeah. at the time it was, I was doing so much that I like needed the escape. And I like, I, I recognize for myself, like, it's not the thing that can help me because it's not something that aids my life it's something that takes me out of my life yeah and so it it's not something that i would say like it became such a crutch or a crux but it was something where i'm like i want to so deeply feel my life and like feel the disappointment feel the the gratitude feel the the grief feel the loss that like if every day that i have an overwhelming experience at work or have a really hard uh interaction with a professor or a, a a client in practicum or internship, I just go home and smoke a joint. Like I'm missing out on all things. Yeah. And so, I mean, again, it's similar to like what you're describing with some of the people. It's like alcohol isn't necessarily like running rampant in their life, but it's also keeping them from just living in it. And so why don't I do the, the hard work of sitting in like all of it, all of the feelings.
0: Yeah. You got to, feel the bad stuff to be able to really appreciate the good stuff and it's so cheesy but it's so true well yeah because you can't selectively numb things like Brene Brown
1: has done this research and she's talked about it she's like it'd be delightful if we could selectively numb pain and say I'm never going to feel it again but she's like you know if you numb pain by drinking or smoking or doing whatever you also numb your joy you numb your your connection you numb it all Yeah, and so you can't just like drink away the loss of a loved one. You also drink away the the loss of connection to your friends, your family, all of the things. So absolutely.
0: Yeah. It's like a, it's a snowball effect it just like can cause more problems than it. You think you're fixing a problem easily. You think alcohol is the solution, but it's, uh, I don't want to like sit here like I'm bashing drinking, like no one should drink ever. And I tell people all the time, like, you know, I, you know, friends at work are like, yeah, off work, I already have a drink, I'm on my desk or whatever. And uh, we do, they do like a virtual happy hour. So I work oh, nice. remote. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah, have one for me. Delightful. Yeah. Enjoy. Enjoy. Yeah. Somebody's got to enjoy it out there. I, because I know. It's not a part of my life. That doesn't mean It can't be a part of yours. Yeah, and there's some people that have to. It's like it's it's kind of comparable to the like the hardcore Christians like pushing their belief system on people. Yep. I notice people do not a lot of people, but some people do that with recovery too, yeah. like push their lifestyle on some people. It's like I ugh, I don't want to do that at I all. Think, I think that's where like. um I've tried
1: to keep this a lot in mind over the last, like, at least a couple months. It's this idea of, you know, everyone deserves to be a fully diverse human being. Yeah. And the more you accept all the parts of you, I mean, there's a lot of research in part psychology that, you know, the part of you that was an addict is a part that was trying to keep you probably from pain or from disappointment or from disconnection. Yeah. And that's a part of you. And so the more that you welcome that part in, the more you also welcome in the part of you that's sober, the more that you welcome in the part of you that is deeply willing to feel and the part of you that's scared to feel like you, you just create this huge space inside of you. And I always think about it with people who push their stuff on, on you, like Christians or, um, I feel like. What's another example of people? You know, to me, I would say a lot of like political stuff too gets that way where it's like, you have to believe my way. And I always try and think about it through the lens of your, your beliefs should be based and rooted in your ethics and your morals. And so what you believe kind of tells me where your ethics and morals live, but it's that idea of like, if I can accept the parts of me that are scared and fearful or the parts of me that you know, want to smoke weed or want to numb out, I can also accept the parts of me that are like, I'm ready to cry for the fifth time at watching everything everywhere all at once. (laughs) Like I'm willing to accept all those things. And so I like, I like hear that through your story. I hear that through like what you're saying. You're like, I'm trying to find these spaces where I can go to a meeting and accept the person that reflects back to me, the part of me that wasn't ready. And I can see it in them and I can see the person who's so gung ho about this that they like, want to spread it from the mountaintop that like this is the that's only thing. That's how I was ins- when I first started. But that's a part of you then. Yeah. And so it's when other people do it too, you're like, huh, I wonder if I was that way. I wonder if I was, you know, that intrusive or that overwhelming. And it's, again, if you can create more internal space inside of you for like, ooh,
0: that's a part that wants to do yeah, it. One thing, I, one thing I had to learn the hard way uh, when I first first got sober was that I couldn't save everybody. Oh, that had to be hard. And you want and you wanted to and like, you know, that are people are struggling and you wanted to be uh captain captain we've heard it I've heard it say like Captain Save a addict or Captain Save a alcoholic or whatever. But yeah, I had to learn the hard way that you can't make somebody ready for that. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. I didn't want to make this whole episode about recovery and addiction, but it did lead into Zach dropping some gems on us. So listen closely.
1: Every day when you're in a healing journey can become just an experience of like the human consciousness. Like I'm just going to witness what parts of me show up when you're talking I'm going to witness the parts of me that, like, whatever you just said wanted to be outside this room. And we're like, we don't want to feel that. We don't want to hear that. I'm also going to witness the parts that are, like, deeply tuned in. And it's like, as you're saying it, to just watch yourself ebb and flow and create this part that is Colin, like, the self. Like, it sounds like that's a lot of what your healing journey in terms of your addictions has been. Yeah,
0: I think being in recovery has made me a better listener, too, because when I first... Started going to meetings. I didn't want to talk. I was like, "Uh, I don't have anything to say. I don't know what I'm supposed to say. And that's, it's pretty common. And it's, and now I look at it like, oh, cute. How funny. Uh, Like, I remember being that person and not thinking they had anything important to say. And I encourage new people to share, but if they don't want to, I don't force it upon them either. I did a lot of listening, and that's made me, I think, a better listener because of that. I just paid. I was like, I need to suck in all this knowledge and listen to the, listen to the people who I've been around for a while, and what did they do? What have they gone through? And it's just made it so much easier to really. Listen and empathize with people like I've heard some crazy crazy stories, yeah, that will only be heard at that meeting or maybe in another meeting that person goes to, but they don't just talk to everybody about that, and I've heard those stories, and I'm really grateful I have because it's made me realize. It highlights the things that, oh man, I haven't gone through that and they've gone through that and they're still here and it's just like, wow, I don't know if I could do that. And I, and I also like, if I do go through something like that, I'm calling that guy Mm -hmm. (laughs) like, well, in that, that that, wasn't that community. Yeah,
1: well, and that wasn't meant to be part of your story then. Yeah. And, like, I
0: like the way... Or if I meet somebody that goes through something like that or has been through that situation, oh, you need to talk to... I'm going to connect this. Yeah.
1: I was, I like the way you said it because it's like, if you are so outside of yourself and not actually listening, you're missing out on the... I'm missing out on the good stuff. You're missing out on the gems. You're missing out on the beauty of this connection. And, again, I think that's similar to why, like, each day in therapy like my goal is to just show up fully wholeheartedly and like in my self energy because I'm like I could miss it and I do that in my personal life too like there are times where like my partner will be talking about the most mundane he's a huge video gamer I love (laughs) that you love video games but like he's playing Elden Ring and he's building this certain character and he has been painstakingly in this journey and (laughs) like I don't know a fucking thing about Elden Ring but like to watch him light up and be like a little teenager again, just a it's beautiful. And it's like, I just love asking. I don't know if I'm actually saying things right. I'll be like, Oh, so what, what, what is bleed in this game? What does that do? And like, it's like, I've opened a door for him to be like, thank you for giving me my podium. I'm fucking ready. This essay has been written. And so it's beautiful for you to do that for people in in meetings.
0: Oh yeah. That's, And, uh, yeah, it's weird that I'm at a point where people ask me, like, for my advice. Mm -hmm. Because it's like... What do you do in that moment? Sometimes I just want to laugh and be like, do you you know who you're talking to? Do you know what my story is? Do do you... uh, But it's humbling, too. And it's also... um, I'm trying to think of the right word for it. It's just very... Um I don't know, validating, I guess is one way to say it, but it makes you feel uh worthy <laughs> and like you're a part of something and that you matter when somebody like is like I don't know what to do about this. Sometimes people just reach out to me because they're like, I just need somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. And I know you'll listen and I know you're not going to roast me or rub my nose in or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, there's sometimes where I'm like, man, I wish I would have roasted that guy because he he needs it right now, but but I'm not the one. Yeah. Whatever. I'll listen. Uh, I'll let their sponsor do that or whatever. And um, yeah, it just uh, it's weird being on the other end of things. So I, I used to be, and I still am. I'm constantly, I'm not on this pedestal where I think that I know everything and I never want to be that person where I think I know everything. I always want to be learning. I always want to be growing. And having that perspective keeps me grounded and uh i don't know i think that's why other people can feel comfortable around me and gravitate towards me because they know that i really am not going to be someone that just throws something back in their face Uh, i can just be list i can just be someone to listen if you want my advice i will give it to you but also, I give a lot more suggestions than I do advice. And that's, I think, important, especially with people in recovery, because they don't like being told what to do. I don't like being told what to do. One, well, I'm going to go out on a limb here.
1: and People know exactly what they are going to do or what they need to do. Like, oh, yeah. No one that is coming to anyone, unless it's legitimately like, I've never built a wall. I'm asking you as a carpenter to help me yeah. build this wall. Yeah. Like one of expertise. my expertise. Yeah. one of my favorite things to do in therapy because I do I have a lot of clients who will be like, "Well, what would you do?" And like like as a therapist, oh. you're meant to like you're meant to help them and like yeah. be along for the journey, but one of my favorite things to do with clients and it's uh it's called I mean the theory I use is called internal family systems and it's to like reconnect them back to themselves. Because essentially, like, there is there is something that you know inside of you. There's like a truth. There's like a wisdom. Whatever way you want to look at it. But I just had a client this week ask, like, you know, how would you do that? What would you do with this? Yeah. How do you flip the script on that? <laughs> I I like sit with it for a second. I said, you know, there's an ego part that showed up in this session right now that really wants to give you my exact advice on that.
0: But and that's I not like how this
1: works. But that's not what I'm here for. And I said, and. I think what you're you're really trying to get at is, you know, Martha Beck, this sociologist, she says when you're looking for others' opinions, you're coming to consensus. When you're seeking truth, you're coming to your senses. And so I'm like, so what? What can be your truth? And like we did this whole meditation. It's your where, truth like, is not my truth. No, and I, it shouldn't be. Yeah. Me as a queer man who has gone through deep levels of homophobia and hate crimes is not going to be the truth. That a, you know, middle-aged straight man experiences going through a divorce. Like we have very different walks of life. Yep. I can experience the same emotion. Yeah. But you've got to figure out what your truth is. And that's what we're here to do together. And it's like, it's the most beautiful moment when like, and I love it when clients like just whisper, like, cause like, you know, that they've found what they wanted. Yeah. And they'll just be like, oh, sure. Mm-hmm. And you're like we're there we're there yeah and like and it's not to like it's not to like be power over it's to be like in this moment we we have power to give each other space to be our fullest selves so i'm going to let you be the pettiest version of you and say what you need to say about your ex and then i'm going to hold you in the space of like what does your morals and ethics say for you to do how should you treat that person how should you treat yourself in this moment And it's like these beautiful moments of like, I know when something has come open inside someone because like, I feel an energy. You can, yeah, you can sense it. Oh, and I like leave that session. I'm like... Ooh, we're feeling it today. It's, yeah. it's a good moment. That person was in the right space at the right time. And we were having the right conversation. And it all just intersected into this beautiful like, moment. this is why I do this. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, my boyfriend knows when I come home, he's like, oh, you had a good one today, didn't you? And <sighs> yeah. it's like, but I try not to see sessions as like metrics of like good or bad. Oh, yeah, I just yeah. try and see it as like that moment, even if it was a sentence that hit or resonated between us, it's like. Oh, that was, that was a gem. I have a purpose. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote some, I wrote some random stuff here. Uh, So we covered some of this already, but as a therapist, uh, I like to ask any therapist I talk to, what is something that you've noticed recently, uh, it's probably related to the pandemic, but it could be unrelated to the pandemic. But what's something that you have noticed as like a, a trend that a lot of people come to you with that kind of disturbs you a little bit? Mm. That's like, this is, this is a lot of people are having this problem. So I don't know if it disturbs me. I think well, not disturbs, maybe not the right word, but that's like, oh, this is
1: a lot of people. Yeah, I think it's the TikTok diagnosing, like oh, people, and and I think you know, I like there are moments like, and I I think this is just me being a deeply feeling person. Like I will go home and like there will be days where I do cry about some sessions or I cry about like some of the people that I'm working with mm-hmm. because when people are seeking these like understandings of themselves like you know i have a lot of clients who will be like well i watched a tiktok and now i know that i have borderline or i watched a tiktok and now i think i have autism and it's like they're they're so deeply seeking there's like this this little child inside them they want them. it to be true they want a meaning they want to understand themselves mm, yeah. and it's like and i think it's such a trend in mental health where like you know people are looking for anything to help them feel valid and help them feel seen and heard. And this is why I am the way I am. And this is why I've always run into this in my life. And it like, it, it hits me sometimes because there'll be a client who it's like, you can tell so deeply. They're like, I've never been able to explain this about myself. And if I could just, if I could just put a word, if I could slap a label on it, it would help me rectify 30 years of my life. And it's in those moments where I'm like, Oh, I don't know if it's going to do it for you because I don't know if we do find, like, if I do the, the assessment and it comes to be true that you are this, but then like maybe it gave you a sense of direction. It like put a end to your chapter on that section, but it's like, I think that's a trend I see in mental health. And it, it always hits me because it's like, we're all self-diagnosing because of TikTok and media. And I think it's the, it normalizes for me that we are all very different people, but we're all dealing with the same thing. We just want love. We just want acceptance. We just want meaning in this world, like at the core of everything.
0: Yeah. And we want to understand ourselves better. Yep. Always. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. Like, I've talked to people about it. I've been, uh, I kind of, I've had my diagnosis for quite some time. <laughs> Besides the ADD thing, which is new, uh, that I had to come to acceptance with, because I didn't want another label. Yeah, you rejected it. I was like, I already have done. I already have the labels. I don't need any more. I'm good. I'm In good. fact,
1: I'm good here. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm all. I'm all set. Yeah. And I would just dodge it every time my psychiatrist brought it up. Then I was just like, finally, I'm like, okay. You brought this up enough, because she's not just your typical psychiatrist. I finally found a psychiatrist. I've had a few that wants to really dive into things and talk about things. I wish our sessions were longer, mm-hmm. so, um, but she's expensive. That's where I'm at right now with insurance and things like that. It's funny th- that's funny because I work in the insurance and... Um, yeah, that's a whole other thing I could talk about. But it's so rare to find a good therapist mm-hmm. that clicks with you. It's even more rare to find a good psychiatrist because then there's the meds involved. And they
1: have to move fairly quickly. Like, I mean, yeah. a lot of the places that they work are very metric based. And so it's, yeah. it's not to dehumanize. She has her own practice, which is awesome. Because it's not to dehumanize you, but it's, you know, there is some overarching, you know, board or or thing that's like pushing down on them saying, you need to get these people in and out within 15 minutes. And it's like, that's not their fault for having to try and figure you out in 15 minutes and do their best. But it's like the system we live in to be like, you're another number. Come on, let's go. Let's go.
0: Yeah, that's not how our relationship is. Sometimes it does feel like a little rushed. But that's just because she's... Booked and busy. She's booked. She's busy. I get it. Yeah. Uh, we go over time all the time. <laughs> but it's because it's she cares and she goes over time with, like, everybody. I, I'm I'm used to waiting in the lobby because I do it virtually. I'm used to waiting. Um, like, I... I the next person's going to have to wait, too. Yeah, because we're going to go over here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're going to go over. And it's just the way it is with her. And uh, I try to get that last session of the day. So you can have just a little extra time well, or no pressure. Yeah, like, no, there's yeah. no pressure. Get that little extra time. And, uh, yeah, she's been very receptive. And she understands. She's always learning um. yeah and I've had her for a few years now and I the only reason I sought a new psychiatrist because my other one was like hey uh, oh no I missed an appointment mm. and messed up the whole scheduling thing and had to basically start like as a new patient kind of thing. Oh. And, you know, part of it, yeah, it was my bad. But part of it was like, man, I got to start all the way over. And it was like, you know what? This wasn't great anyway. I kind of felt like my, um, and some psychiatrists are very much like this because they have to get people in and out the door. And yeah. she worked for a practice, not her own practice, yeah. where I was like, I feel like I'm seeing a drug dealer. Like I gotta get out of here quick! Like it's a drop. Like, like she's like, "What do you want? You need the refill? You good? Move on. Move on. Pay the person out front. Yeah. Pay your copay. Get out. Yeah. Like whoa! Like that's not how it feels with this with this psychiatrist at all. And I'm so glad for that because it took me a while to find that it was, it was getting to be so transactional, and she would forget that I was an addict. And try to give try to throw a bunch of benzos at me. Like and I'm just like, yo, excuse me. Um I didn't really abuse those, but I could. Mhm. Well, and I
1: mean, you're basically just opening the door, right? Like yeah. if she gave you them, it's like not Ooh. that those are my thing of choice, but it could be. And again, I have the predilection a, for I, I've talked
0: to enough people
1: yeah.
0: that have abused those that I know I could and I I know it's a way to escape reality. I have friends that were hooked on benzos that don't remember weeks, days. Because oh, they just terrifying. That's scary shit to me. Yeah. I wouldn't want to do that. Not know what you did. Blackout. Like, I had blackouts when I was drinking, but not for that long period of time. Yeah. And not that regularly. I usually remembered everything, which is a good and a bad thing. <laughs> i bet, I bet. <laughs> paradox there just like, like oh i did that and i remember all of it
1: i have to now shame myself for the rest of my life about yeah,
0: that. Yeah. yeah i'm so glad i did not black out that much because yeah just the worrying and like there's people i also people i know that are you know a big part of being in recovery, working steps is doing the amends process. It's like Mm -hmm. there's people they know they need to make amends to, but they don't know who they are. They don't know where they are. There's a couple of those for me too. It's like, no idea. Couldn't tell you. So I just have to, my amends is just to be not that guy anymore and to be a better person. Thank you for tuning into the modern day overthinker podcast. If you are not keeping up with us on social media, Thank you for tuning in to the Modern Day Overthinker podcast. We'll close it out with Zach Nielsen. Make sure you check him out if you're in the Quad City area and looking for some good therapy, bloom therapy. Let's wrap this up. Definitely a good conversation, man. That was great. Yeah, a lot
1: of different things we covered.
0: We covered a lot of good things.